If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with the shout of welcome we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Against all evil, never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Praise the Lord. Well, that's a good song for what we got coming. <clears throat> that's good. Way to go, guys. I like that. Quartet music and all that blending stuff going on. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 116. We're going to begin in verse, one, uh, in verse 16. Just two weeks ago, we <clears throat> had a message in Sunday morning entitled, Will You Serve God? And it was right out of this passage, and we're going to go ahead and dig right into that passage again, and we're going to ask a different question. We're going to ask this question this evening. We're going to ask, are you his servant? And so let's go ahead and read Psalm chapter 116, verse 19, or 16 through 19, excuse me. I'll get that right sooner or later. <clears throat> chapter 116, beginning in verse... 16. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. <clears throat> I mentioned this already a few weeks ago, but in his January 20th, 1961 address, John F. Kennedy made this statement to a nation in turmoil, to a world in crisis. He made the statement, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what your... What? Boy, it's amazing how well you know this message already. He said, 
Fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Boy, that's a tremendous statement, and, the, and, and, and it, it rings true. It rang true for so many years. And in still, in, in this day in which we live, there are those that have adopted that principle, that ideal, that thought, and they live their lives for their country. We think of the men and women who have gone into the military and ultimately give their life even for the sake of our nation and the freedoms in which we now bask in and enjoy. And we thank the Lord for them and their willingness to make those kind of sacrifices to not ask what can their country do for them, but what can they do for their country. However, it seems to me that more than not, we're losing that mentality, that ideal, that ideology. We're missing out on that thought, if you will, and it would seem to me that more than not, that we have a more, what can my country do for me, instead of what can I do for my country. However, even more alarming is what seems to be a prevailing attitude in the church that is crippling it in the same exact way. One of the most alarming trends I see in Christianity is an attitude of entitlement. An idea that somehow God owes us, that the church owes us, that people owe us, that, that somehow we deserve something. A sense of entitlement. Now, again, in our government, it seems that they're pushing entitlement all the time. I mean, you, you get Obama phones, you get on uh, food stamps, you get on relief, you get on all kinds of... I mean, the, the government wants you dependent on them somehow, some way. And they want you to somehow think it's free. And what has happened is we've gotten an idea somehow of the, this mentality of, of, of I guess... Um, as we mentioned it already, it's, I've got to find it. My mind just went blank on me. It's that kind of night, remember? Entitlement. There it is. It's this attitude of entitlement. Um, again, you owe me. I deserve. But, you know, that's, that's, that's not how it's always been. That's something we're learning. You know, the truth is, is even us as believers, you know, we say we trust the Lord. But if we're not careful, we have a tendency to trust our government more than we trust our Lord. You know, it's, it's not that we take of the benefits that maybe that we've paid taxes for and the, the, the different programs that we've invested in as Americans. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're paying our taxes. We're investing our, our money and so forth into programs. I understand all that. But it seems to me that that's usually not the ones using them. Now, you, you don't, not, this ain't a political message. But the problem is today is that it's trickled down into the church now. The problem is today is that believers somehow feel that the church owes them. You know, somehow that God owes them. And I think that that's a problem. And I, I like the statement that President Kennedy made concerning Americans and their country. But I also think that it, it ought to work the same way with God and His people. I mean, ask not what your Savior can do for you. Ask what you can do for your Savior. We're going to serve somebody today. That's just a reality. Every last one of us are going to serve someone. We're either going to serve the God of this world, little G God, or we're going to serve the God of heaven, big G God. It's one or the other. It's not a matter of I choose just to be neutral. No, there's no neutrality here. We are on either God's side or we are on the enemy's side. That's all there is to it. 
And so there's an element of service that we must yield. We're going to serve someone. But unfortunately, if we're not careful, we have an ideal or some kind of a, a feeling or a, a thought or the idea that somehow the church owes us. You know, the preacher's got to be careful what he says because, you know, I don't go there to get my toes stepped on. I mean, that Sunday school teacher needs to visit me. You know, that person needs to do this for me and they need to do that for me. And we pay that staff so they ought to be doing this and they ought to be doing that. And, and I should be able to demand a visit when I'm in the hospital. I should be able to expect people to come to my house and do this and do that. You know, that is, that's a sense of entitlement. That's a sense of entitlement. I'm not saying that it's not nice to get a visit. I'm not saying it's not good to have our needs met. But what I'm saying is when we start to expect things and think we are owed things, we better be careful because we are on the verge of entitlement. That's all. Just be careful. Think it through a little bit. Now, again, I asked the question a few weeks ago, will you serve God? And tonight I want to consider this idea, are you a servant? Because, see, if the opposite of entitlement is service. The opposite of expecting to be served is serving. And that's exactly what God wants you and I to be today, servants. It's just, it's something that is not really optional. And yet God, in His grace, permits us to be lazy. He allows us to be rebellious and disobedient at times. I'm not saying that there's not consequences, but we can get away without being servants. And yet, if we're truly servants, there are going to be some characteristics and qualities that are evident in our life. And the psalmist here points out a few of those. Um, I'm going to ask four questions that seem to just resonate from the passage. And in these four questions... They'll give, they, they give us an idea as what, whether or not we're really the servant we think we are or that we ought to be. And so tonight, I'm going to just simply ask four questions, drawn right out of the passage, and see where we all stand today as servants, or if we indeed are at all. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We don't have a lot of time. Lord, And we, we don't need a lot of time. What we need is just to focus our attention. We just need to really let you speak to our hearts. Father, tonight, I'm not ignorant enough to believe somehow that folks are here tonight with no desire to serve and that they're rebellious and disobedient. No, they're here because they love you. Folks tonight are here because they care about you and they want to please you with their life. And yet, Lord, even we who have the best intentions at times can find ourselves a little off course. Help us, Father, to have our ears open that you may speak to us, that your spirit may drive home truth, that we would be better for having come tonight. Now fill me with your spirit and just help me, Lord. The words are coming a little bit more difficult for me tonight. Lord, I just pray that you'd help them to go smoothly now, that you'd put your words in my mouth, stand in my shoes, and allow me to be your mouthpiece. I'll thank you for that, Lord. Bless your people in Christ's name. Amen. All right. um, Number one, we're asking a question. And we find it in chapter uh, verse 17. We see the basis for the question. The psalmist says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Here's the question. Who are you most grateful to? Who are you most grateful to? 
When it comes to thanking people, who gets the most thanks, the most gratitude? Listen, I I am confident and I'm very sure that it's valuable and it's important to say thank you. That's good business. I'm not one of these guys that believes that the moment you start honoring someone or saying thank you to someone, you're, you're dissing God. I don't believe that. So I do believe in thanking people. I think it's important to express our gratitude. Still, you are, the question is, who are you most grateful for or to? See, the servant of the Lord will always reserve that place for God. Did you hear said the servant of the Lord will always reserve his greatest amount of gratitude to the Lord? For where I am today, as I look at my life, I owe my parents a great deal. I, I have wonderful parents. I've been blessed beyond compare. I, I thank the Lord for their spirit, their attitude. Uh, my dad, just his attitude toward the Lord, his, just his zeal for Christ and his willingness to serve the Lord at this point in his life. Uh, I mean, uh, getting saved at 55 years of age and uh, settling his salvation at that point. And boy, just, man, I mean to tell you, even before that, he was in the church and doing so much. And that's just proof you can do a lot of things. But uh, just a great spirit. My mom, man, servant's heart, you know, servant's heart. And so I have great parents, and, and I, have to, I owe them a great deal. I, I can't even express how much gratitude uh, that I have for them. My wife, man, you can't be where I am in the ministry. You can't uh, allow, uh, the Lord can't use you the way he, he has in the, through the years. Uh, you can't invest the time, the energy, uh, and the finances that, 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 that we have without a wife who is 100% behind you. Uh, so, uh, you know, you know, my wife is tops. I, I would tell my kids from time to time, I'd say, boy, if you can get a wife half as good as your mom, you're in. You got it. So, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. My children. How can I thank my kids enough, my children enough? Um, years ago, I heard Curtis Hudson make the statement. He said, your children are your credentials. In the ministry, your children are your credentials. And, you know, for years I've lived my life trying to be what I can be and to try to encourage my children to be what they ought to be in the Lord because, in the end, I have no authority without them. And I really believe that. I feel that my children, you know, and how they are with the Lord, and I'm not saying they have to be perfect because nobody is, but, boy, I just I thank the Lord. My children have, have surrendered and submitted to the authority of their mom and dad, and, and God has blessed our family and our home. And uh, to this point, we just thank the Lord. They're all in church, faithful, serving the Lord. That's a blessing. And let me tell you something. I owe them a debt of gratitude. You say, well, you shouldn't thank them. I thank them for that. I think that's wonderful. I'm very pleased and I'm very thankful to my children. I owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. Um, I think of preachers and pastors in my life uh, that have invested in me. Um, I, I try to learn from every preacher I've ever listened to and ever been under. I tell people all the time, you can learn uh, a number of ways from people. You, you can watch people and learn what not to do, <laughs> and you can learn what to do. And as far as I'm concerned, whether I learned what not to do from someone or what I learned to do from someone, as far as I'm concerned, I owe them a debt of gratitude. And so I thank the Lord for that, for investing in me and in my life and potentially maybe even in my ministry, uh, in, in some in particular. For church members like you, church members through the years that have followed a pastor, 
Man, I'm grateful for that. That's a blessing. Man, I'll tell you what, the Community Baptist Temple would not be what it is without the people of God. There's not one man, there's not one woman that can build anything, do anything, accomplish anything on their own. Man, this is a team effort. There's no way it gets done by just some great speaker or some charisma. And furthermore, it wouldn't happen if that was the case. But the fact is, is that God has sent a tremendously encouraging church family. I owe so much to so many. And yet, there's one that I'm more grateful to than any other. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. I mean, I wouldn't have the parents that I have. I wouldn't have the wife and the children or the church family. I would not be where I am today without the Lord Jesus Christ. And as much as I love my wife and family, as much as I'm encouraged by the church family, as much as I thank the Lord for all that he's done in the midst of Community Baptist Temple, in my life, in my home, my marriage, my family, it doesn't matter. In the end, it's all still him. Who are you most grateful to? Who are you most grateful to? See, the servant of the Lord gives his greatest gratitude to Jesus Christ. Number two, who are you most likely to call upon in both good and bad times? Who are you most likely to call upon in good and bad times? The psalmist in verse 17 again says, And will call upon the name of the Lord. He says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Who are you most grateful to? But then I will call upon the name of the Lord. Who are you most likely to call upon in both good and bad times? There's a number of options, aren't there, today? A myriad of options. You know, as we said this morning even, you can search the internet, you can listen to talk shows, you can look at infomercials even and TV doctors and all kind of things. I mean, if it wasn't for Dr. Oz, we'd all be in the hospital today probably, right? You know? There are scores of family and friends, acquaintances that we can share with or turn to for help and advice. But still amidst the windfall of options... The servant of God is quick to turn to one person faster than all others. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, who do we turn to? I mean, as we draw close to Christ, as we are in the midst of service, I mean, we are right there. We have His ear all the time. And boy, whether it's good or bad times, He should be the first we turn to. I mean, when... Tragedy strikes and difficulty comes. What's the first thought or the first words all out of your mouth? Who's the first person that you're crying out to, that you're calling unto? Oh, I mean, before you pick up the phone and dial it, before you jump on the Internet and look for an answer, do you call on the Lord? Do you cry out to God? Because the servant of the Lord is going to call upon Him before any other. Psalm chapter 142, verse 5, the Bible says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 120, verse 1, again, a song of decree. It says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. 
In both good and bad times, the servant will call upon his master. You say, I'm a servant of God. Well, let me ask you, when difficult times hit, when good times strike, I mean, who is it that you call upon first? Who is the first one that pops into your mind that you need to commune with, that you need to communicate with? Oh, I'm a servant of the Lord, but man, I'll tell you what, if I got good news today, the first person I'd call would be my mom. If I got some bad news, the first person I'd talk to is my wife or husband. And listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to talk to them, but let me tell you something. If we're really the servant we ought to be, if we're in that kind of fellowship and communion with God that, we, that He desires and that we ought to possess, then let me tell you something. The first person, the first one that we're going to reach out to, even if it's just a little whisper under our breath, is, Oh, God. Oh, Lord, help me. Every need we have and every answer we seek is found in Him. The Bible tells us to cast your care. In 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. We also find that we are to come for comfort. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Not only casting your care or come for comfort, but Christ is confidence we learn from the psalmist. In the book of Psalm 27, verse 1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who will be the first one, the most likely one that you'll call upon in both good and bad times? I love sharing good news. And honestly, let's be honest, a lot of times we like to share bad news. It's pretty much the flesh. But the first one we ought to share any news with ought to be the Lord. Number three, we're talking about a servant and what are some of the qualities or characteristics, what are some of the things that we can note from a servant of the Lord Well, the psalmist, he goes on to say in the passage in verse 18, I will pay my vows unto the Lord. I will pay my vows. See, he's telling the Lord already, as we read in the earlier passage, I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Twice he makes that statement. Now he goes on to clarify or to identify some characteristics maybe that will help us to be the kind of servant we ought to be. And in this particular case, I'll pay my vows unto the Lord. Who is the first to receive your best? Who's the first to receive your best? Now, again, there are a number of people, there are a number of those that will demand and desire our best. And, you know, your boss at work wants your best. Your teacher at school wants your best. And if you are a part of a team, basketball, football, baseball, soccer, hockey, whatever it might be, guess what? Your coach wants your best. Everywhere we turn, there's someone who demands our best. And and let me put it this way. It's important we understand this. Our best is required by God in, in, in every area of our life. So it's not a matter of... See, sometimes we get it, well, who, who deserves your best? Well, unfortunately for you and I, we're not, to, we're not given the opportunity to slack any time. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. 
For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. God tells us we're to give our best to everyone and everything we do. You say, well, why the point then? Because it's not a matter of giving our best. It's a matter of who deserves to get our best first. That's the real issue here. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, um, if you're gonna work at McDonald's, then you give them your best. I don't care if you're making fifty dollars an hour or if you're making five dollars an hour. You give your best. It doesn't matter whether you're in grade school or whether you're in high school or whether you're in college or grad school. It doesn't matter. You give your best. You be the best you can be with what God's given you, and you give your best at everything you do. If you're going to drink a cup of coffee, you do your best. Amen. You're going to eat a steak, you do your best. I'm just saying, whatever it is, you do your best. That's the mentality, that's the idea that God has for all of us, that's what He desires of all of us. But when it's all said and done, it's, it's not about who or what should get our best, but who should get it first. And the Lord should be at the top of the list. Now see, you and I owe our master a great debt. We owe him tremendous loyalty and allegiance. The fact is, is that we ought to obey the master even to the chagrin of all others. You can't please everyone in life. Did you ever hear that one? You can't please everyone. My parents used to say that to me all the time. I, I'm one of those people who wants to please everybody. I really do. I, I, I know you may not think that, but I do. I go home and I think, man, I wish I could do that. I just can't stand the thought of them. I, I wish I could, uh, 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 you know. I mean, I want, I want to please everybody. Someone comes to me and says, preacher, I wish we could do this. I want to go, man, I, I, let's do it. But, and then someone else comes up and says, preacher, I don't think we ought to do this. I think we ought to do this. And I go, man, you're right. We ought to do that. I mean, I want to please everybody. But I learned a lesson growing up. My parents used to tell me all the time, you can't please everyone. And you know what? That's a reality. No matter how well you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much money you invest, no matter how much time and energy you put forth, you're not going to please everyone. And sometimes the ones you don't please will be the ones you want to please the most. You just can't do what you can't do. You just can't. Please everyone. So make sure you please your master then. That's the real issue. Give him your best first. John Kenneth Galbraith, in his autobiography, A Life in Our Times, he illustrates the devotion of Emily Gloria Wilson, his family's housekeeper. Someone says, boy, that's not a very, you know popular or very uh, prestigious job. Well, hold on a second. We're going to see that she made a name for herself. He goes on to say, it had been a weary day. And I asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I had a, a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. 
This is Lyndon Lyndon Johnson. Um, Sir, he is sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. Sorry, Mr. President. Uh, I, I work for him, not you. He goes on to say, when I called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. Tell me that woman. I want her here in the White House. Tell that woman, I want her here in the White House. He was so taken by her priorities. She had said, no, I'm sorry. He gets my best. He gets my best. He's first on the list. See, the servant of God will not permit anyone or anything to keep him from paying his vows and fulfilling his responsibilities to God. He'll not permit anyone or anything to get between him and his Lord and Master. After all that God has done for you and I, suffering on the cross, shedding his precious blood, dying in our stead, there is no way that we, as his servants, can withhold our best from him. I'm convinced that we are too quick to penalize God for our lack of priorities, for our failure to plan, for our neglect, our neglectful practices. I'm I'm concerned, I'm, I'm convinced of this. God's the first one to pay, it seems often. Well, you know what, I just, uh, I forgot about this and it's, I, I can't, I can't do this now. And, and, And I know the Lord would have me, but i got to take care of this now. Because we didn't prioritize property uh, properly, because we didn't plan properly, because we were neglectful in our practices, God, He takes the hit. See, God shouldn't take second place to the servant's telephone. Uh, to the servant's uh, telephone. He shouldn't take second place to the servant's TV set. Uh, God shouldn't take second place to the sporting event. Or, or to the school function, or to the family outing, or to the family outing, Come on, or to the family outing. Amen. Come on, it's amazing to me. We'll say, oh, God's first in my life. But then mom or dad or somebody else calls and we just throw God under the bus. I got somebody coming in from town, preacher, won't be in church this weekend. We're, they don't go to church, so I'm going to stay home with them. I'm sorry, but... That, that's, that's not how a servant of God is supposed to act, folks. Right. Servant of God should say, hey, listen, you, you're coming in from out of town. We love you and all. But you know where we go at 10, 11, and at 6 on Sunday. You know where we go at 7 on Wednesday. Man, I would love you to go with me. But if you don't want to go, we'll see you when we get done. I'm not going to force some visitor in my home to go to my church. I'm not going to do that. But I'm not going to miss church for them either. See, the servant of God gives his or her best first. First gives their best to the Lord. And finally, number four. The the psalmist in verse 19 goes on to say, In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Man, in the courts of the Lord's house and amidst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. 
the question that comes out or arises is, who receives your loudest praise? Who receives your loudest praise? I mean, who really gets the glory when you speak with others? That's a touchy one, isn't it? That's tough. You know, folks, if they're trying to encourage you by saying thank you or, or tell you you did a good job, these gentlemen, these four men that just sang, man, what a great job they did. Amen. Man, I mean, that was awesome. But, you know, we've got to be careful at some point that we don't believe everything we hear. And we don't start to internalize it and start to think, man, I am something else. And so we have to always deflect things like that. And it doesn't mean we can't accept uh, someone's gratitude. We can't accept uh, maybe, uh, in a sense, their, their, their thankfulness. That, that's fine. I understand that. Uh, but on the other hand, we need to deflect it. You know, just like the, uh, we see that Jesus is the son of righteousness. And, um, you know, we here are on earth. And, but we see that that moon reflects that light, you know. We're kind of like the moon, you know. All we do is reflect the light of the sun. That's all. And the world needs to see that light. We're not the light. We're just like the moon in the sky. And the sun shines and reflects off the moon. And everyone on earth goes, wow, what a beautiful moon tonight. Look how bright the moon is. And that ought to be us. We're like the moon. We ought to deflect and refract the light. It ought to go from God to, 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 to the earth. And so everything that, 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 that comes at our way, we ought to just kind of shoot it back to God in that sense. We ought to give God the glory. Everybody ought to know the only reason we're shining is because He's so bright. I mean, that's really what the goal is of the servant of God. Not to hear everybody say, I can't wait. I hope, I hope they tell me I did a good job singing tonight. Boy, no one told me I did a good job teaching this morning. I'm bummed. You know, nobody's patted me on the back lately and thanked me for this. And nobody told me how good a job I did. I stayed over late to help. And everybody else went home and nobody knew it. And I just thought, I saw the pastor. He drove by and saw me here. He never once recognized me. I mean, that isn't our goal, is it? I mean, that's not why we serve. That's not what we're into it for. Because that's not serving God now. That's serving us. See, I'm convinced that most service that's done for the Lord is self-serving. See, I think most people serve God because they want to be served. You say, what do you mean by that? I stand up here and I preach and I go crazy and everybody comes up to me and says, oh boy, that was a good message. And I go, thank you. I'm going to try to get a better one next week because I love that feeling. You know what? I didn't serve the Lord. I just served me. Self-serving. We go in hospital visits because we know someone's going to call and say, you know who visited me? Man, they're such a good Christian. Super Christian. Hey, you know, why did we visit? Was it to serve self or was it truly to serve the Lord? I mean, who's getting the glory really? Who's the one that's really receiving the praise, so to speak? And I think sometimes if we would be honest with ourselves, we don't mind making a dinner. But if no one tells us how good what we made for that dinner after church, then forget it. Next time they can make their own stinking food. They didn't appreciate mine, apparently. Oh, wait a second. Oh, that's right. You're not really serving the Lord. You're serving yourself. I forgot. That's right. Okay? I mean, aren't we like that a little bit, maybe? You say, oh, I'm not like that at all. Good for you, but you're probably the one that is. 
And let's just be honest. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Who receives the loudest praise? Do you leave any doubt in the minds of others who's truly responsible for anything good in your life? I, I heard this story, and I'll probably tell it wrong. It's been a while since I've, I've told it, and I can't really find it. But I remember hearing about Bob Jones Sr. And, of course, uh, years ago at Bob Jones University, the school was thriving. Things were going so well. He obviously was preaching in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And, boy, he was just an evangelist traveling around the country, seeing tremendous results, souls being saved. People flocked to his school where he trained them for the ministry. And God blessed that school. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And you, you know that it's still around today. It's not quite what it used to be, obviously. But it, it was a tremendous school and, and was doing such a superb job. And men and women would go f- from around the country there to school and people would come visit the college to see what the secret of his success was. And I read about how they came to his uh, campus and he took a a group of preachers around the campus, showing the campus off, probably expecting, possibly, uh, you know, familiarizing them with the campus, thinking that maybe some of their own uh, church members would come to the school and so forth. And so he took them around, showed them the campus explained some things to them, talked about the different buildings and programs that they have. And as they finished up that day, he walked them to their car. They got in their car and they started driving down the road, down in, uh, driving down out of the school onto the main road. And as they started away, he realized, I had never really given God the glory for this. And he got, this, this, his heart was smitten and he got convicted about it. And next thing he started going, hey, hey, stop, 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 as he ran after them. The brake lights came on. The car came to a halt. Bob Jones Sr. ran up to the side of the window. and He banged on the window and they rolled it down. And he said, hey, I just have to make sure you know. It's all God. It's all God. He gets the glory. Who receives your loudest praise? Maybe your children do something great in school and they get an award and people come to you and say, boy, you're sure proud of your kids. And you say, yes, I am proud of my children. Hold on. And I sure thank God for them. God's good, isn't he? Man, I need, we need to always elevate God. I understand we don't always have to you know, make a big deal. Oh, God, no, brother. I, I mean, people come to you and say, thank you. Uh, no, don't thank me, thank God. I mean, you got to be honest. you got to be realistic with some things. you you, you got to use some wisdom. But man, you know, God's good. Isn't he wonderful? Thank the Lord. It's all about him. And you know what? We just need to deflect all that praise and give it right back to him who deserves it most. As we look at the psalmist, he said, I am thy servant. And as God's servant, he was most grateful to God. He called upon him before any others. As God's servant, he gave him his best before anyone else. God always got his best first. And it was always his master that received his greatest 
praise. Gratitude will not allow us to forget God or what He's done for us. And I close with this illustration or story, really. It was gratitude that prompted an older gentleman to visit an old broken-down pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he'd go back to that place. He'd walk slowly and slightly stoop down with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this older fella and he'd feed them from his bucket. Many years ago, or before that, in October of 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 bomber. He was on a mission to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour along the way. Captain Eddie began an adventure that he would never forget. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Their fuel ran low, and finally the men ditched the plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker and his companions would fight the water, the weather, and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights just recoiling from the great sharks that kept ramming their raft. The largest raft was nine by five. The biggest shark, over ten feet. But with all their enemies at sea, the one that was greatest, the one that was their greatest adversary was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone. They'd been destroyed by the salt water. And it would take a miracle to sustain them. And that's exactly what they experienced. In Captain Eddie's own words, he said, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, quote, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance from a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the obsessive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Now... Now, this is still Captain Rickenbacker talking. He said, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Everybody else knew, too. No one said a word, not one word. But peeping out from under my hat brim, without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gall. The gall meant food. If I could only catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gall. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of a lone seagull. A lone seagull, uncharacteristically, hundreds of miles from land, offered himself as a sacrifice. You, of course, know that Captain Eddie made it, right? And now you also know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent. 
his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the gulls, to remember that one which on a day long past gave itself without a struggle. Even as Captain Eddie, being lost at sea and destined for death, was saved by the sacrifice of one lone seagull, so you and I, lost in sin and destined for destruction, were saved by the sacrifice of a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who willingly laid down His life for us. Captain Eddie could never forget that, sea, that seagull, and you and I can never be guilty of forgetting our Savior. See, that's what really fuels the Christian to be the servant that he or she ought to be is that willing sacrifice that provided us that great salvation and eternal life that we now possess. Who are you most grateful to? Who are you most likely to call upon in both good and bad times? Who's the first to receive your best? Who receives your loudest praise? Are you His servant today? Are you? Father, we come to You. We thank You for just giving us the privilege and the opportunity to gather tonight.